If you could ask Jesus just one question, what question would you ask Jesus? If you could ask Jesus any question, what question would you ask Jesus? Back in the 1980s, anybody remember the 80s, a few of us? Yeah. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live uh, starring John Larroquette, who used to be on a show called Night Court. Anybody remember Night Court? You don't have to raise your hand on that. It's a good show. But anyway, John Larroquette did this skit where he was a man who had recently died, and he was describing what he had experienced after death, you know, that he saw his spirit leave his body, and then he went through this dark tunnel with a bright light, and there he was in paradise, a beautiful garden, sitting right next to Dana Carvey who was dressed as an angel. He was a saint who was there to help answer any questions that John Larroquette may have about, you know, life after death, about heaven, and, uh, and to show him around heaven. We recognize that any question could be answered. John was curious. He turned to Dana Carvey and said, what was the biggest mistake I ever made? And Dana said, well, there was that one time you were walking on the beaches of Bermuda, and you walked right over a treasure chest. And if you dug just like four inches, you would have found it. It was worth $40 million. And John was like, oh, man, I really messed up. I can't believe that. And then he asked, well, well tell me, what was I really designed and, and suited for as far as a career? I know it wasn't selling copiers. And Dana said, well, actually, you were suited to become the president of the United States. And John was like, man, I knew I should have run for class president, you know, and that senior in high school. I blew it. Goodness gracious. We continued to ask a series of questions. Finally, he got to the, the biggest question that haunted so many of us during the 80s. He asked the question, why did they change the formula to Coca-Cola? <laughs> you remember when they did that? They changed it from old Coke to new Coke, and new Coke tasted like Pepsi. I was like, why did you do that, right? Finally, they went back to Coke, the original Coke formula, and of course, we've been enjoying that ever since. If you could ask any question of God, what question would you ask? As we continue our sermon series on helping how God might transform the idle heart of our, the idle factory of our hearts, uh, we, we encounter a, a young man who asks Jesus a very important question. In fact, this conversation is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. To see what this question is, this all-important question that needs to be repeated three times, and what the answer is to this all-important question, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bibles to page 1076, 1076 to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank You so much that You inspired Mark to write this faithful account of this important conversation that Jesus had with the a rich young ruler. I pray, Lord, that as we read this account, that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17, listen to God's word. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, 
Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now and in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here ends the reading of God's Word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's look again at verse 17. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question because the fact is that we, all, we will all die someday. So how can we be assured of eternal life? What do we need to do to get or receive or inherit eternal life? This man asks this, this question. And as I shared earlier, all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, point out and recount this important conversation because that's a question, an important question we should all be able to answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Matthew tells us that this rich man is, is young. Luke tells us that he's a, a ruler, and so he's a rich, young ruler. And by all accounts, he's actually a, an upstanding citizen. He, he doesn't commit adultery. He doesn't steal. He doesn't bear false witness. He doesn't defraud. He honors his mother and father. Better than some of the presidents we've had in our time, right? This is the kind of guy who was a great ruler. Young people wanted to follow him. He'd been so successful at such an early age, and yet he is troubled feels uneasy. And so he comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that as Jesus lists these different five commands, he leaves out one important commandment in the Ten Commandments. He leaves out the second commandment. Do not make an idol and worship it. What is an idol exactly? Well, Tim Keller in his best-selling book, Counterfeit Gods, tells us that uh, counterfeit gods, the empty promises of money, sex, and power, and the only hope that matters, uh, lets us know that uh, an idol can be anything, even a neutral thing like money. We can turn anything into an idol if we, if we chase after it or love it more than we love God. He points out that uh, 
our human heart is prone to idolatry. As John Calvin explains in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory, and left to its own, our heart is prone to chase after the temporal, tangible things of this world rather than the eternal things of God. Tim Keller actually has an entire chapter about the idol of money, how in an American culture we're, we're tempted to make money an idol. And he writes these things. Money can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy more foundational impulses. Some people want lots of money as a way to control their world and life. Such people usually don't spend much money and live very modestly. They keep it all safely saved and invested so they can feel completely secure in the world. Others want money for access to social circles and to make themselves beautiful and attractive. These people do spend their money on themselves in lavish ways. Other people want money because it gives them so much power over others. In every case, money functions as an idol, and yet because of various deep idols, it results in very different patterns of behavior. The person using money to serve a, a deep idol of control will often feel superior to people using money to attain power or social approval. In every case, however, money idolatry enslaves and distorts lives. When we chase after money more than God, our lives become distorted. It's like if you try to button up a, a shirt, a button up shirt, and you, you take that first button, and if you put it in the second hole, and you fi finish out buttoning your shirt, and you realize, wow, this is out of order. It, it's not quite clear. It, it's a little disordered. Our heart, as this young man's heart, has become distorted because he loves money more than God. He thinks that he can be satisfied by the things of this world, recognize that only true satisfaction can be found in following God and making Him the first thing we pursue above all other things. Reminds me of a recent quote I, I heard from Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is worth over $180 million. He's been very successful in the Hollywood industry, and he writes this, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey has realized, despite all of his fame and success, money and success is not the answer. He's still dissatisfied, as this rich young ruler is dissatisfied. And, and so he comes to Jesus asking this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, if we read the entire Gospel of Mark, we'll see that that's really not the right question to ask, because there's nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. We are saved by what Jesus has already done for us. You see the next set of verses in Mark chapter 10, verse 33 uh, to 34, Jesus begins to explain to the disciples yet again why he's going to Jerusalem when he says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. This is the third time Jesus has told him that he's going to Jerusalem in order to die as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy to help pay the price for all of our sins. And he gives an even more thorough explanation in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago when Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Greek word for ransom there would have also been used to talk about how someone would pay a ransom to help free a slave. Jesus, God's one and only Son, who was without sin, 
died on a cross as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins to pay the ransom so that we might be freed from the condemnation that our sin certainly deserves. And so now we're called to live our life in, in gratitude for that great gift, not chasing after the temporal idols of this world, but rather seeking to use what God has given to us, our time, our talents, and even our treasures to the glory of God. How do we inherit eternal life? Well, it's by God's grace, and it's by what Jesus has done for us. And we receive that gift simply through faith. As Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our lips Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But when we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying Jesus is Lord of, of all. Jesus is Lord of our time, our talents, and even our treasures. Now, a quick note here on this text. Sometimes we can read this and go, well, goodness, Jesus told this young rich ruler to give away all of his money. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Is that how I apply this text to my life today? Well, thankfully not. At least I don't think so. In fact, I had a class from Dallas Willard many years ago where he pointed out that if every Christian in the world sold all that they have and they gave it all away, then, well, then the stuff of the world would be the hands of pagans, and God doesn't want that. God wants us to use what he's given to us to help do the work of his kingdom. Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants us to invest the time and the talents and the treasures we have to help do the work of his kingdom. Should we give to the poor? Absolutely. But we should give to the poor in the name of Jesus so they might experience God's love through us and come to know that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and he alone has the key to eternal life for all of us. I don't know if you've seen these street signs lately. They say, say no to panhandling. It invites you to go to amarillo.gov backslash give. If you go to that webpage, you'll see that there's a series of, of nonprofits that they recommend, and I would say ministries they recommend that you give to to help with our homeless problem that we do have here in Amarillo. Three of those ministries are the Salvation Army, Faith City Mission, and Transformation Park. These are ministries that are run by Christians who are trying to help minister to the needs of the homeless so they might experience Christ's love through them and come to know that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Yes, we should give, but we want to give in the name of Jesus. We want to invest in the work of God's kingdom. That's why our church and its operating budget gives 12% of its operating budget to local and global missions. And, and as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I have seen this happen in, in our church's life as we've given to missionaries in Bolivia and in Iran, in Egypt, in Spain, in Ireland. And as we pray for them, I find that our hearts are following and we're more prayerful about what God is doing in those countries. And while the church in America is the wealthiest church in the world, we have a responsibility, a duty to help others come to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And one of the best ways we can do that is by giving generously. Yes, we are most like God when we give, giving in the name of Jesus, so that people might experience the generous love of God through us. So what is God calling you to give? Well, if money is an idol for you, maybe you should give a lot. But I think all of us should follow at least the principle that we find in the Old Testament of, of tithing. Tithing is the, the model of giving that we find in the Old Testament where they gave 10% of their first fruits back to God, to the temple. And this was an act of faith as they gave. They trusted that God would continue to provide for them. And he did time and time and, and time again. Now in the New Testament, they don't talk a lot, a lot about tithing. Uh, but Jesus affirms it in Matthew 23. But as we turn to the New Testament, we say that they 
They gave well above a tithe. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas takes some property and he sells all of it and he gives all the proceeds to the apostles. Now, he was raised in the Levitical tribe, which was experts in the law. Why did he give so much more than what was required by the law? Because he looked at the cross and he saw what Jesus had done for us. And gratitude for the fact that Jesus gave his all, Barnabas wanted to give all that he could. May each one of us, in gratitude for what God has given to us, give all that we can in the way of our time and our talents and our treasures to help do the work of God's kingdom. So as Jesus says in our text that, to Peter in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life, that many who are first will be last and the last first. I believe that as we invest in the work of God's kingdom both locally and globally, God takes what we give just as that little boy gave his lunch of five barley loaves and two fish and he was able to multiply its impact and minister to so many, many more. That as the disciples like Peter and James and John gave their lives to the proclamation of the gospel, the family of faith grew. And their brothers and sisters expanded. You may remember, Peter, James, and John left everything. They left their fishing business to become fishers of men. Whatever business God has called you to, whatever work God has called you to, may we just see how we can be fishers of men and women to help point others to Jesus by investing in the work of God's kingdom by giving back to God out of our time, our talents, and our treasures. So that one day when we get to heaven, we'll see that the family of faith has grown because of what we gave. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that as you, as we read this text in Mark, this important conversation that Jesus has with this rich young ruler, we can see that he was chasing after the idol of money rather than following you. And so, Lord, I pray that we might learn from his mistake and we might give out of gratitude for what you've already given to us, knowing there's nothing we can do to earn eternal life. It's simply a gift from you that we receive by faith. But when we say Jesus is Lord, we know he's Lord of all of our lives, our time, our talents, and our treasures. So, Lord, help us to be good stewards. Help us to give back to you so that we might battle the, the temptation of greed and avoid the idol of money so that we might take the money you've given to us and give to help further the work of your kingdom, so that you might receive all the glory and the disciples might be made and more people might come to follow Jesus. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.